probably noticed that there's a little more hair up here than usual, which I know is our joke quite often, but uh, <laughs> the Chadettes are taking over today, so uh, <laughs> so Chad can preach for you later. So uh, you guys join us on this next one. He's already won. Stand up if you'd like. Well, not yet. We're not to the shaking hands part yet, Chad, but we're trying to get there. We'll do that after this one, I think. <laughs> oh, I guess we should. That is, yeah. Okay, we'll go ahead. Shake hands. Find some new friends. Walk around. and. <laughs> Walk around and mingle. Let's go. <laughs>
playing Eve Steven and I'm Eve Sterwin and we're so excited to see you at BBS from June 10th to the 14th. It's already got close. I gotta get ready. What do you mean you have to get ready? Everything's already finished. We don't have to get ready anymore. Nonsense. I can't do BBS while wearing these weird banana pants. In a few weeks, Irv and I will go on some amazing adventures in the mystical jungle of Gospeltopia. We'll do so many cool things while we're there. We may even make some new friends along the way. And the best part is, you'll go on our safari journey with us. Wait, they're coming with us? Now I have to go get extra ready. What are you going to do now? I have to get my lucky... Kazoodle hat. What? When VBS starts, we'll learn all about how Jesus knows us and takes care of us wherever we go. And we'll show how exciting it can be when we share the love of Jesus with our friends. We hope to see you there. Until, Until next time, we'll see you at the end of the rainforest. Our very own Sydney Carnley wrote that skit. They did a great job videoing that for our preschool Bible school for Gospeltopia. So we are excited to begin this VBS adventure. It starts in a week. So if you have not plugged in yet, we still have many volunteer opportunities for you, whether in the morning, which is our preschool-focused Bible school from 9 to noon, or in the afternoon with Clear Ministries, which are older age children, kinder through fifth grade. You can register for both online. If you haven't registered your child yet, please do so, or grandchild, or neighbor, or niece, or nephew. We would love to have your kiddos here. So if you look in your worship guide, it is full of opportunities, not only for, uh, for Vacation Bible School, but for summer ministry. Y'all, I don't know if you realize this, but um, on Mondays in the summer, in our Playscape room, in our Kids Connection room, we open it up for moms that have preschoolers just to come visit the kids play. It's air-conditioned, so it's nice. Uh, there's snacks provided, coffee, so we just want to utilize our room that God has so graciously blessed us with for our preschoolers. And so the first one is tomorrow morning. And so please, if you know uh, a mom with a preschooler, invite her to come. Um, so we have that. Also with our Vacation Bible School, this double-sided, please take this and tuck this in your Bible. Of course, the first page, we do crazy themes, crazy, all kind of crazy fun dress-up days, so that list is here. But on the back side is um, our CLEAR staffers, as I mentioned, that we partner with CLEAR for our children's Bible school. And this is something that these students, high school, older high school students, college age, they apply, they interview. And so this is the team that is coming to be with us for VBS. Warren Jackson is the first name on the list. He is the ministry founder and leader. He's going to get to be here as well. In fact, he'll be leading worship for us this coming Sunday, next week. Um, so that's, it's, uh, it's such a great team that we get to partner with. So please be in prayer, not only for our clear, clear team, but all of our Carpenter's Way volunteers for the morning and the afternoon. Um, also, there's a note in your worship guide for preteen camp. So we have a meeting. If your fourth, fifth, or sixth grader has signed up to go with us to preteen camp, we're just meeting right after Bible study just here uh, in the worship center to go over a few things. So that's all I have ministry-related for preschool and kids. Now I'm passing that on. Thank you very much. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, if you, you do take a look at your worship guide, you'll notice uh, 
I warned you last week that we were about to get busy, and I'm not lying. We're getting busy. We have VBS next week. Uh, then we have preteen camp. We have children's camp. Then we have our student adventure camp to Colorado. So um, if you see your student ministry staff, your preschool and children's ministry staff look a little frazzled the next month, you know, you'll understand. It's going to be a great summer. And I do want to encourage you, uh, on the back of that uh, VBS information, there is a list of the uh, staff that's coming to minister to our students and our children this, this uh, coming week, week after next, rather. I want to encourage you. You may not be able to help out with VBS. You may um, have a job that doesn't allow you to take off during the day to come and be a part of that. But the way that you can be a part of that is by praying for our VBS, praying for the staff, praying for our children's and preschool staff uh, that are going to be involved next week. And so if you physically can't be here, uh, we really encourage you to pray uh, not just for our VBS, but for preteen camp that's going to be happening after that, and then children's camp, and then our Colorado mission, our Colorado adventure camp that we'll be taking part in uh, at the end of June. So thank you for your faithfulness in praying. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Uh, it's because of your faithfulness that we're able to do the things we do to reach out to our children and to our students. Um, one thing I do want to bring your attention to uh, that you can be a part of, um, even if you can't go on a mission trip this summer, um, you can still participate in our Amazon outreach. Uh, there is a list of uh, materials and things that they're going to be collecting to bring with them uh, to leave into, uh, in the villages that they'll be visiting, so please uh, make note of that. Um, other than that, uh, just take a look at your worship guide. There is a ton of things in there. Uh, like I said, the summer is here, and we are off and running. So uh, if our ushers will come forward, we'll receive our offering this morning. I do want to remind you, if you have a student who is participating in our summer adventure camp uh, in Colorado, uh, there is a meeting next Sunday uh, after worship in the student room, or after Bible study, rather, in the student room. And it's very important that you come to that if you have a student uh, that's going and participating because we need to finish our registration and need to get some things in your hands uh, just to make sure that your student is ready to go. All right, I'll pray for us, and we'll continue to worship this morning. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. God, we are so grateful uh, that you love us the way that you do. And God, we're very excited about this summer. A lot of things are going to be happening um, really quickly, and it's going to be packed, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to have a great time. But, but God, really, through all of it, through our VBS, our preteen camp, children's camp, student camp, God, we pray that you'd draw folks to yourself. And God, as we just share truth and just point children and students to you over this next month, I pray that, God, you would just uh, take that and use it just to impact the lives of those who hear the good news. So, God, we give you this time this morning and pray that uh, as our worship team continues to lead us in worship, as Chad comes and opens up the word in a few moments, that you would just speak to our hearts, encourage us, but most of all, remind us how absolutely in love with us you are. God, we give you this time, pray you would take this offering, continue to bless this church as we continue to try to do the things you've asked us to do, to disciple and to reach out. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. strong sometimes i'm weak sometimes i fall in my wandering but through it all there's just one thing more precious than the air i breathe 
amazing, amazing. Father, I just want to lift everyone up right now. It's the summer. Things get a little crazy, a little chaotic, even though we should be relaxing. So I just... I thank you that we can all gather today, and I pray that we'll hold it in our hearts and in our minds this week, and um, I just thank you, and I, I pray for those who need you even more today, this very minute, and for hearts that are burdened. Just bring peace, Father. I just, I just thank you. You're, you are. You are everything. Amen. stand the glory of your presence what soul could see your face and stay the same what love is this that lays aside his splendor what god is this that gives himself Oh God, you reign, you never. 
Good morning. Can we give these guys a hand? So you probably know like from your job or just stuff like that, if somebody who usually leads isn't there, stuff can get a little chaotic and kind of crazy. But man, they killed it. They killed it, right? It was so good. It was so good. And so, um, yes, give them another hand. Um, just a little something for you. If you see, um, so you guys get here on Sunday morning. We have words up on the screen. Uh, if you don't make it on Sunday mornings, we have internet that you can log in and watch. Um, all that happens from people doing something, right? And so the sound guys, uh, the tech crew back in the, the back, you know, making sure you guys can watch us at home. Um, maybe you do, I don't know. But if you get a chance and you see those guys, those ladies, just find them. Tell them thank you. Uh, a lot goes into getting this ready on Sunday morning. And most of these guys uh, and girls, uh, girls, women, uh, they're getting here early. Uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and so 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning when they could be doing other stuff, uh, so that when you guys get here on, on a Sunday morning, everything just kind of works seamlessly, and everything works, and sounds great. So if you get a chance, and you see those guys, uh, tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for all that they do, for getting here early, and, and sacrificing their time, and, and all that kind of stuff. Sound good? Sound good. All right, so we are actually going to jump back into this guy. In case y'all didn't know, big sign on the stage. Uh, we're picking back up uh, in the life of Jesus. And so if you're visiting with us and maybe you don't know what's going on, uh, I guess it was at the first of the year, uh, Pastor Mark started walking us through the life of Jesus. Typically what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we just go through it verse by verse. We'll take a section on a Sunday, we'll work through that, and then we'll take another section. 
Uh, we decided at the first of the year we're going to change it up a little bit, and instead of going like a, a specific book, we're going to take the life of Jesus and just kind of walk through it chronologically. So we're kind of all over the place as far as the four Gospels, but uh, it's been really, really cool. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. It's been very interesting seeing uh, Jesus in context and actually reading through it and seeing like how he interacted with people. Some of the stuff that he said, and if he would have said it to you, you probably would have been like, man, he's a jerk, Right? Because he says some stuff, and sometimes it hits you between the eyes, and it, it's not really nice. Sometimes Jesus isn't the nicest of guys. And he would say stuff, and sometimes you'd see people walk away, and you see people look at it and be like, really, is that, did he really say that? The disciples looking at each other being like, did he really just go there? And so uh, that's where we're going to be picking back up this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Mark chapter 2. We're going to get there eventually. Um, do you remember the first time you met your spouse? Some of you are like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Do you remember the first time you met your spouse? Maybe 60 years ago. Maybe you met them uh, a couple years ago. But the first time you actually met your spouse, do you remember the first time you met your boyfriend or girlfriend for you youngsters? Do you remember the first time you met them? Do you remember the first time you met your best friend? Maybe it was on the playground in first grade, and you guys were on the monkey bars together, and something clicked, and you're like, we're just best friends. This is awesome. Do you remember that time when you met someone, and it just changed everything? Uh, there are these moments in your life when you meet someone for the first time, and nothing, life is never the same. Everything changes, right? For Tree and I, uh, this happened over a tennis court. And so what happened is I was in a college uh, band. I guess you could say we had a college ministry I was a part of. And so uh, we were having practice one night, and a friend of ours was taking lessons from this lady. And so uh, after the, the, the practice was over, he asked me, he said, hey, would you want to come with me and, uh, and play with me? The lady that I'm taking lessons from is bringing a, a friend, and so I need a doubles partner. And so I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, up to that point, my uh, experience with tennis was pretty much us trying to hit the ball over the fence, right? It had nothing to do with keeping it on the court. It was like who could hit the home run over the fence. And so I'm like, sure, we can do that. Let's do that. And so um, – I actually showed up before him, and uh, I'm sitting there. It was over at Crown Colony, and I drive up, and uh, I look over, and there's these two girls playing tennis on the court. And so I'm thinking maybe she's not here yet. She's running a little late. And so uh, Mark, which is our friend, drives up, and uh, I was like, hey, you know, I don't think your lady's here yet. He's like, no, no, she's right there. And I look over, and I'm like, that 16-year-old girl is giving you lessons. So Teresa uh, was what, 92 pounds maybe, <laughs> soaking wet, um, super dark, she had just spent like a whole summer in Mexico, so she was like super, super dark, uh, curly hair and everything, and she, honestly, she looked like she was 16 maybe, but I remember seeing her and be like, man, she's really pretty, but I'm probably going to go to jail if I keep thinking that, because she's 16, and I'm like 21 at this point, so I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, and so Mark rolls up, and I'm like, hey, dude, I don't think, and she's, he's right there, and I'm like, that, that girl? He's like, yeah, that's the lady that's giving me less, I'm like, dude, Seriously, that's not a lady. And so anyway, I go over and we meet each other. <laughs> Sorry. We meet each other and, uh, you know, it's kind of instantly click. Um, there was no, um, you know, let's start dating right now. And honestly, uh, what happened is we, I think we hung out that night. We talked after tennis was over. I think we wound up talking. I found out she liked the Atlanta Braves, which I like the Atlanta Braves. I found out that she was a sports fan, which I was a sports fan, and I pretty much fell in love with her on the spot. Um, you don't meet very many girls like that that can kind of keep up with you, so to speak, uh, in your sports lingo. And so she started rattling off these stats from these guys that play for the Braves, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love you. <laughs> you are 
amazing. You are the coolest. And so, but you know, there was no inclination of like, I'm going to marry this girl. Uh, it was just like, man, she's really cool, but you know, who knows? So over the next few months, we, uh, we kind of start hanging out with mutual friends and everything. And I finally asked her, uh, ask her out on a date, which that's another story. I'll talk to you about that later if you want to hear that, because that was interesting. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, we start dating, and here we are. We're married almost 15 years later. But you have those moments when uh, that just kind of ha- happens, right? You're, you're walking along. You're doing your own thing. You're minding your own business, doing what you do every other day. And then, bam, you meet someone, and everything changes, right? And that's kind of what we're going to see this morning as we pick back up in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 13, so if you want to get there. If you weren't with us last week, and uh, honestly, even if you were, I want to kind of just bring you up to speed and kind of remind you uh, of what we talked about last week. So it was the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man, if you guys remember. Uh, and that what they did is they uh, lowered him through the roof because it was just too crowded, right? And so we talked about how there was probably a staircase, and they get up on top of the roof, and then they just start, basically start ripping up tiles, right? They start digging a hole in the roof, and they lower this dude down through this hole, and it, just a crazy scene, right? It's a crazy, crazy scene. But that's what we talked about last week, and the two things that we kind of focused on last week were this. Um, number one, for whatever reason you come to Jesus, either as this man, maybe you're needing healing, maybe you're coming to him asking for help, maybe you're asking him to help you get out of a situation, maybe you're scared for your life and you cry out to him, I need you to save me, maybe you're you're battling fear, anxiety, depression, and you come to Jesus as like, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything else. I can't handle this. Can you help me? For whatever reason we come, whatever brings us to the feet of Jesus, we always, always leave with more than we came asking for. Every single time. Whatever you come to Jesus asking for, he may or he may not fulfill that. He may not heal you. He may not do what you're asking, but you're always going to leave with more than you came asking for. And that is what we saw with the paralyzed man. He came to Jesus because he had heard that Jesus could heal him. So Jesus is going around this area. Word is spreading. People are finding out, man, Jesus can heal people. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is doing that. So this guy comes to Jesus because he has heard that Jesus could heal him. And we know from last week that he was only coming for healing, and he was desperate, right? But he left with his sins forgiven. And oh, yeah, he could walk too. He left and he, came, he left with what he came asking for, but he left with so much more. The guilt that he has no doubt carried around was gone. You remember how he kind of connected the dots of uh, basically just anything bad happened. Sickness, uh, bad stuff happening was related, uh, was directly connected to sin in your life, right? And so it was usually unforgiven sin. So meaning he would have been reminded probably daily by others, and honestly, he's probably carrying this around himself, that there must be something in his life, there must be some kind of sin in his life that is so bad that he can't be healed. He can't be healed because forgiveness, healing was based on forgiveness of sin, right? Forgiveness or healing was predicated upon your sins being forgiven. And so if he's not getting healed, then that means his sins must not be forgiven. That must mean his sin is so bad that maybe it can't be forgiven. So there's a chance and probably happened. This dude is walking around. Well, <laughs> he's not walking around. He's paralyzed. He's laying around, and people are probably just reminding him all the time, like, what did you do? Like, what, what, what sin have you not confessed? What's going on in your life? Why can't you get healed? And so Jesus heals him to prove something. And that brought us to our second point. The second thing we talked about is that Jesus proved that he had the authority to forgive sins, therefore elevating himself and declaring that he was, in fact, God. 
Do you remember the teachers of the law's response to Jesus telling them that this, sins man, that this man's sins were forgiven? Do you remember how they responded to him? Only God can forgive sins. All right? This is how they respond to Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law say, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus heals the man to prove that his sins had been forgiven because that was the belief, and sins had to be forgiven for healing to happen. Therefore, Jesus proves that he is, in fact, God. So that's what we looked at last week, those two things. And uh, that brings us up to, to this week. And so if you want to jump in with us, Mark chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. So verse 13, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Oh, by the way. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So the last thing we read last week was this man picking up his mat. Jesus says, you're healed. He picks up his mat, and he walks through the crowd, walks out of the house, and everybody is floored, right? It says they were amazed. They had never seen anything like this before. The very next verse tells us, then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught. So I try to imagine, I, I told you guys a little bit last week that I try to put myself in the scene. I try to, like, think about what's going on. So instead of just reading a story about someone digging a hole in the roof, I try to imagine, like, what would it be like if I'm sitting in the room and all of a sudden this kind of, uh, for us, this uh, sheetrock starts falling off the ceiling, right? So a little speck hits the ground. I'm like, that's weird. Uh, a little bit more hits the ground. Okay, that's really weird. And then all of a sudden, like, whole pieces of sheetrock are just hitting the ground. Next thing you know, there's, there's plywood falling on the ground. You're like, what is going on? You look up, and there's this dude's face looking down through the hole, right? And then the hole gets bigger, and the hole gets bigger. So you're sitting in the room, and this is crazy. This is a crazy scene. This isn't you just read it off of the page and be like, hey, they dug a hole in the roof. This is nuts. This is crazy. This is someone digging a hole through someone else's roof. This is someone showing up your house and saying, you know what? I got to get in front of Jesus. I'm just going to rip a hole in your roof. You're probably sitting there like, whoa, this is not cool. What's going on, right? So I try to try to imagine uh, what is happening between the verses, right? So we have the guy walking out with his mat, and then it says Jesus left and went to the lakeshore. So uh, we also established that this is most likely not Jesus' house, just based on what we know about Jesus, his ministry. Most likely didn't have a house that he lived in. This is probably kind of the, I guess the overall consensus is this is probably Peter's house. doesn't really matter, but let's say it's Peter's house, okay? So this is kind of how, uh, how I imagine it going down. Here's Peter walk, uh, sitting beside Jesus. Jesus just healed the guy. He walks out. Peter says something like this. That was awesome. High five, Jesus. That was super cool. I can't believe you just did that. You think we can take this outside before they tear my house down? I don't know. That's just my thought. That's what I would do. If it was my house and people were digging, I'm like, hey, Jesus, any chance we can go outside? Because these people are getting crazy. They're going to start tearing down my doors and my windows before we know it, right? So then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And this tells us that, and we can see it over and over in the Gospels, that this is common for Jesus. This is what he does. He goes outside because why? What happens every time Jesus starts teaching? 
crowds of people show up, right? People on top of people on top of people. And we just read the story that he's in a house and it's just too crowded. They can't get in, so they have to resort to vandalism. So they have to resort to, resort to tearing holes in the roof. So Jesus goes outside by the lake and he starts to teach the crowds. And he's walking along and he sees Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, and he says, Hey, Matt, come and follow me and be my disciple. And to everyone's surprise, Matthew says, Okay. And he drops everything and he goes. So why do you think or do you think, I guess my point, one thing that I thought about is like everybody would have been super surprised that Matthew said yes. Everybody would have been very surprised that Matthew said yes, right? So why would they be surprised that Matthew uh, decides to follow Jesus? So let me give you a little bit of a, I guess, a small biography about Matthew and just tax collectors. Because it tells us that he is a tax collector. There are a couple things that we need to understand about uh, tax collectors in Jesus' time. Okay, so Matthew is a Jew. Matthew is collecting taxes for Rome from his Jewish community. So think about that for a second. You see, you see the rub? You see the problem with that. So Matthew is a Jew, and he's collecting taxes for the Roman government from his Jewish brothers, and this is how it would typically go down. So Rome would contract these guys, Jewish guys, to do kind of their dirty work, so to speak. So they would make a contract with someone, in this case Matthew, and they would tell him, hey, you need to collect this much money from each person, okay? I need you to get this number. So, if these guys just happen to charge more than Rome told them, so be it, right? And so, let's say Rome gets $10 and they charge you 20 What are you going to do? What are you going to do when this guy is there and he's representing Rome and he's saying, hey, Rome said you got to pay 20 bucks? What are you going to do? Like, you can't. You can't say no. You can't say no. I'm not going to do that. Let me talk to Caesar. I mean, that's not how it works, right? And so he has Rome on his side. He is representing Rome. And so they could pretty much charge whatever they wanted to. Maybe they're doubling it. Maybe they're tripling it. Uh, Who knows? But this would have made uh, the Jewish people very upset, and rightfully so. They didn't just tax kind of this or that, right? They taxed pretty much everything. This is pretty much living in California right now, right? So... (laughs) If you guys haven't lived in California, I spent a few years there. A um, couple interesting things. You go to the grocery store. When we check out, you have a subtotal, you have tax, and you have a total, right? That's what's on your receipt. California, you check out, you have subtotal, then you have tax, 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 And then you have a total way, way, way down here. After about 15 different tax, that might be exaggerated, maybe 12. You have a lot of taxes. And so this is kind of what we're seeing here. They're taxing everything. And what would happen is each person would have kind of something that they're responsible for. So you would tax, you would gather a tax on this, this guy maybe gather a tax on that. And so we have Matthew gathering taxes, and most likely he's doing it on like trades. So it'd be kind of like, think about someone coming from the north to the south of Israel, and they're passing through uh, this area. Matthew's responsible for getting taxes on them passing through, basically. So it's kind of like this import-export kind of thing. Like you have to pay a tax, you have to pay a toll maybe to get through here, and that's, that's what Matthew's doing, and he's collecting from, again, from his Jewish, his Jewish brothers and, uh, and, and his, just his countrymen. So the Jews believed that they were only to give to God in the temple, right? And so this really upset them because one of their own has sold out, right? One of their Jewish brothers has sold out, and he's made a contract with Rome, and now he's doing their dirty work. And history tells us that these guys charged a lot more than Rome required, not real sure exactly how much, but apparently it was a lot more because they were getting rich off of their countrymen. 
Uh, you can read the story about Zacchaeus if you want to, to kind of have a reference point. Uh, Jesus talking to him, telling him, uh, these guys are making a lot of money. They're, they're doing okay, let's just say that. They're not just barely scraping by. And so uh, you have these people, they're getting mad. And so Matthew would have been hated by everyone, right? Matthew would have been hated by everyone, and everyone would have been surprised that Jesus called Matthew to follow him. And they probably would have been even more surprised that he would actually do it. So remind you, Matthew sitting in his tax collector booth, he's the worst of the worst, right? It doesn't get any worse than Matthew. He's, he's the, the baddest that they come. Everybody hates him. And then Jesus walks by, and what does he say? Hey, Matthew, come follow me. What's going through your head if you're in that situation? You're a fellow Jew, and you're like, everybody hates this guy. He is the worst, the absolute worst. Oh, here comes Matthew. Ugh. And then Jesus walks up and like, hey, Matthew, come be my disciple. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You're probably thinking the exact same thing these guys would be thinking. What? Are you kidding me? Jesus is calling this dude, Jesus, the same Jesus that's healing all these people, doing all this cool, crazy stuff. He's calling this guy? He's calling this guy to be his disciple? So Jesus is calling the worst of the worst to come and be one of his closest disciples. And let's pick back up in verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, but when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Maybe your translation says, why does he eat with sinners? But any question about how they really feel about Matthew and his buddies? Is there any question about what they really think about Matthew and his, his crew? Why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such sinners? Why is your teacher eating with those people? Right? Why is your teacher eating with those guys? I can't believe he's eating with those guys. So tax, co tax collectors had willfully walked away from all things Jewish, by saying yes and entering into a contract with Rome. Remember, everything in Jewish society revolved around the temple. Okay, so in agreeing to be Rome's tax collector, they were no longer allowed to come to the temple because they would be considered unclean. You can't enter the temple if you're unclean. So by entering into this contract and doing their dirty work, so to speak, they are now considered unclean, and they were the scum, the outcast of Jewish society. And here we have Jesus eating with them, the scum, the lowest of the low, the outcasts, and the teachers can't believe what they're seeing. They cannot believe what they're seeing. Verse 17 tells us this. When Jesus heard this, their question of why he eats with scum, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Last week, we saw Jesus proving, validating, if you will, that he does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins. That was a story last week. This week, we see the kind of people that Jesus forgives. He forgives sinners. He forgives scum. <laughs> he forgives outcasts. That's what we see. And we will see as we move through the Gospels that the teachers, the leaders, they hate Jesus, and they try to discredit his ministry by calling him what? What do they typically call Jesus? Anybody remember? Friend of sinners. Do you remember that? Friend of sinners. This is what they would call him. And when we hear them call Jesus friend of sinners, it doesn't really resonate with us because we have songs about it. 
you know, we have worship songs that talk about Jesus being the friend of sinners. And it, it, it's just, we have the luxury of looking back, and it, it doesn't really make sense as much to us because we're not wrapped around this, this, uh, this temple worship and having to be clean, and, uh, and you can't come in if you're unclean. So it, it kind of sounds a little, I don't know, almost cool for us, right? It's like, oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Right on, Jesus. But this was probably one of the worst things they could come up with to call him. This is bad. So this isn't just like, oh, you're a friend of sinners. Like, this is bad. Like, when they call him friend of sinners, that's like the lowest they can come up with. Like, okay, you, you think you're a teacher? You think you're, you're good? You're actually a friend of sinners. And so they, this wasn't just a, like I said, a, a willy-nilly thing. They said this was, this was bad. This was the worst they could come up. This was insert whatever cuss word you want to call him. This is, this is their version of that. And hanging out with these kind of people would make Jesus unclean. Did you catch that? So now we have God unclean. Remember last week, Jesus proved that he's God, right? Last week he went in, he proved to them like only God can forgive sins. Your healing is predicated upon forgiveness of sins. Jesus heals him, so therefore he's now God. He's telling them that he's God. He's proving that he is God, but he's unclean because he's hanging out with these people. So now what do we have? We have God unclean. Do you want an example of why man-made religion is so terrible? Of why trying to obey a set of rules to get to God, to accept you is so bad? Of why counting on anything but God to accept you based on your faith is wrong? Here you go. God, Jesus, is now unfit to worship in his own temple. Crazy. It's crazy, right? That is crazy. There's a temple for God to worship God. God can't walk in. God's unclean. God's unclean. He cannot walk into the temple now because he is considered unclean. Just think about that. Think about the ramifications of that for a second. But isn't this what we do? Isn't this what man does? We take God's plan and we make it so complicated. We complicate everything. We add rules to make sure we keep the first rule. And before long, you have so many rules that you can't even keep up. Like, nobody can do it. Nobody can follow them. These teachers just saw Jesus prove that he is God after doing everything he did, and they, leaving no doubt that he is who he said he is, they should have left praising God, telling everyone, come see the Messiah. You're not going to believe what we just saw. This dude just totally proved that he's God. Well, that's not what they do, right? That's not what they do. They should have left praising God, telling everyone to come and see the Messiah, but legalistic views of how we get right with God, a set of rules or steps to follow to be made right with God, always, always takes our eyes off of God himself and puts them on us. Every single time. It gives us the idea that we can take what God says, we can add to it, we can kind of earn our way into his kingdom. That's what we see. So even when we see Jesus prove himself right in front of us, we walk away and we question how he does things, right? He does the crazy stuff. He proves that he's God time and time again, and we walk away and we say, well, we ask questions like this. Why is he eating with them? Why would he allow that guy to be his friend? Is he really going to save her? Like, really? I know her. I spent time with her. I know what's going on. Is he really going to save her? Never mind that he is God and he can do whatever he wants. I mean, I would never eat with them, right? I wouldn't be his friend. I wouldn't save her if I had the chance. Why would God? 
So quick question. Who did Jesus come to save? Say it again. Who did Jesus come to save? Sinners. He came to save those who knew they needed to be saved. He came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save disgusting people like Matthew. That's what Jesus does. And maybe you're here this morning and you've kind of forgotten where you came from. Uh, This good news has kind of lost its goodness, so to speak. So let me remind you. Romans 3. We're going to do 23 through 26. Pick up in verse 23. For everyone, you, me, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People were made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares who? Sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. He, God, not you, not me, not us, he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they follow all the laws and never cuss and drink. Right? That's what we would do. That's kind of, that would be our rules. No. He saves them when they believe in Jesus. And no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad you think they are, Jesus saves them. That's what he does. That's what he does because there's no other people. There's no other people. They're sinners. Period. That's it. So, who are those people for us? Who are our equivalent of tax collectors? Who is it that we find it hard to believe Jesus could love and save? What boxes, what lines would Jesus have to cross over today? What lines have we drawn and said, those people cannot be saved? Those people aren't allowed in. What line would Jesus have to cross over? What group, what sinners would upset us if we saw Jesus eating with them? This good news is for everyone. Every sinner is welcome. And every time we, the religious people, draw a line and say Jesus could never, Jesus would never, guess what? He does it every single time, right? Every time we draw a line and say Jesus would never cross this line and hang out with those people, Jesus is like, oh yeah, watch this. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to hang out with them and I'm going to save them. Because that's what I do. He crosses the line we draw every single time. Why? Because he died for sinners. He came for the sick.
powerful video. And I fear this is how the world sees us and thinks of us, right? And honestly, they're, they're probably right. We love, I love hanging out with people like me. People who think like me, people who talk like me, people who act like me, people who like the same stuff that I like. You know, people who aren't sick. Because I'm not sick. I don't want to hang out with sick people. I mean, talking and eating with sick people might make me sick. It might make us sick. So we pass right by the sick ones who need this incredibly good news on our way to the ones who aren't sick. And when we see someone hanging out and eating with someone who is sick, we jump on their case and we ask them questions, the same questions that these guys asked Jesus. How could you spend time there? Why are you friends with that person? Why are you eating with that guy? Why are you hanging out with her? And this is the image that Christianity portrays. It's a very exclusive club. It's a very exclusive club. But this good news that Jesus accomplished is for everyone. So let's not decide who is and who isn't worthy to hear the good news. Let's not decide who is and who isn't clean enough for us to share a meal. Let's tell everyone who will listen that their guilt has been taken and they don't have to pay for it. Let's tell everyone this incredibly amazing good news. Read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 with me. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He is our one and only message. This is it. This is all we got. We got nothing else. We got nothing else to tell them. We got nothing else to tell them to follow. This is all we got. He is our one and only message. Just give them Jesus. Just give them Jesus. Let's let him clean them up. Let's let, let's let him do the healing. Let's let him clean them up. Let's not try to decide, play God, and decide who can hear this message and who can't. So we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to just be quiet for like a minute. And I want us to just, to just kind of just ask God. I know everybody in this room right now thinks you don't have that person. You don't have that group of people. There's nobody in your life that you would say no to. But I'm betting there probably is. I'm guessing there probably is a group of people that you would have a hard time sitting down and having lunch with. So I just want us to take a minute. I'm just going to be quiet. Just ask God. Just talk to him. God, show me who is this? Who are the group? Who's the people? Is it skin color? Is it socioeconomic? Is it lifestyle choices? What is it? What is it that's stopping me from sharing the good news with those people?
maybe you're here this morning and you are one of those people. Maybe you're one of the groups that we as Christians have said no to. If you're here and that's you, I want to apologize on behalf of all of us. And I want to tell you that you're welcome. You're welcome at his feet. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to bring all your garbage, all your trash, everything that you think is too dirty for him. You're welcome to come and lay it at his feet. For all of us here this morning who have accepted him, who have placed our faith in him, let's go out this week and let's just tell people, like, hey, I have some really good news. And not just the people that look like you, not just the people who uh, have the same amount of money as you, not the people who aren't as healthy as you. Let's not hoard this good news. Let's share it with everybody. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have set all this straight. God, I know as we, as we get farther into our Christian walk, it's very easy for us to start thinking very highly of ourselves. It's, it's very easy for us to start saying, well, I would never. It's very easy for us to say things along the lines of, how could Jesus not want me? start really thinking high of ourselves, and we kind of, either intentionally or, or probably for most of us unintentionally, we draw lines, and we draw boxes, and we say, if you're inside this box, God can save you. If you're outside of this box, then you're on your own. I ask, Lord, that you would show up this week in our lives, and that you would just tear down the boxes, that you would tear down the lines, and Lord, that we would begin to be able to see people in our lives that maybe un- unintentionally we have drawn a line and said, I can't, I, can't be, I can't talk to that person. I can't share the good news with that person. Maybe we have anger in our hearts, and we, we know that if we do share it, just as Jonah, we know that if we do share the good news, you're going to save them, and that's just going to tick us off. I ask, Lord, that you would break down those boxes, you'd break down those barriers, that you would cross the lines, and that you would grab our hand and yank us across the line too. We thank you, Lord for this incredible good news that you came, you took our guilt, you took our penalty, and you bore it so that we don't have to, so that we can just come to you saying, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you save sinners like me. God, I ask that you would be with us as we leave here, as we go through the rest of our day, as we go into our Bible studies, Lord, that you would help us to have just fruitful conversations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Bible study will be starting in about 10 or 15 minutes. If you don't have one, you can, uh, there's a table right out here. Uh, you can connect with those guys. They can show you where to go. If you need prayer, if you want to talk, uh, I'll be up here. Um, you guys have a great day.